Thanks again for everybody tuning in to May, mid-May's edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast. As always, I'm here with Mike Crimmins to talk about weather and climate here in the Southwest. In fact, this is the only podcast focused on weather and climate in the Southwest. Whether you care or not. That's right. This month, uh, you know, we're going to do what we, we typically do, do a little recap of the last month, put it into some longer-term perspective, dare I say, talk a little bit about El Nino. It was the climate event of the century so far. This century, this very this century. young century, yes. That's not that young. Uh, okay. All How right. old were you 16 years ago? Uh, younger, a lot younger. <laughs> Let's start with April, because okay. April did help a little bit. I mean, we had a couple precipitation events more actually in the northern areas of the southwest and the climate listens to us do you think it was sort of shamed into this april performance or what but it didn't it didn't perform that i mean this didn't change this wasn't a game it was not a game changer but it was more it was like phoning it in at the end so you think your your calls for april to come through and and save the the i was done with it i was totally done with it and so so what happened well it kind of rained and it kind of snowed in some spots here in in, across the southwest There was actually weather to be had and weather to be seen across the Southwest. It was actually a fairly busy period from the beginning of April all the way through this actually last week. Right. Busier in northern areas. Well, in terms of precipitation, but there was was other drier events that moved through the Tucson, let's say the southern part of the state. There was the haves and the have not, and it was north to south across the Southwest. So both Arizona and New Mexico. And if you look at the daily weather maps going from beginning April all the way through this last week, there was a parade of low pressure systems, some quicker than others. Some had more moisture than others uh, moving through Most Southern California. Wind. Mostly brought wind. But but the northern parts of Arizona and um, the higher country, and this even happened in New Mexico to some extent, actually had you know a half dozen, 10 rain events or snow events since uh, April 1st. I mean, Flagstaff picked up almost two inches of, of precip from April 1st until just the last couple of days. And Phoenix actually had rain when Tucson didn't, which doesn't happen very often. So that sort of even northern extent, lower elevation, but north of here. Yeah, it wasn't a lot, but I'm just saying that yeah. it rained north of here and it didn't rain. You know, So a lot of, a lot of us down here in southern Arizona and southern New Mexico didn't see much. Right, so for Tucson, it was... Actually, at the time that we were doing our last podcast, April, I don't remember. It was the exact, April 10th. I yeah. Think. yeah. But there was measurable precipitation on uh, 8th and 9th, or if yeah. I'm getting these right, around those, around those yeah. dates. But there were two pulses, more or less. Yeah, 7th, April uh, 7th, 8th, and then 10th, and then again, again on the 12th. And, you know, for a total for the month of, of uh, 0.71, almost three quarters of an inch. And the normal for April was about a third of an inch. So it's over 200% of average in Tucson for April. I feel like we may have shamed the climate into to performing a little bit. That had an El Nino expression. But yeah. You think it did? I do. I think that it, you know, if you look back at the, the pattern of the jet stream, the pattern of, the, of this progression of storms, really, really strong split in the jet stream. There's this very strong ridge that went all the way up through Canada which was actually related to the, the Fort McMurray fire in Canada, which was a, a real broad ridge of high pressure and sort of downsloping winds on the east side of the Rockies. And so that, that actually, I think, connects back to the, the fire conditions they had up north here. Go all the way down to us, we had these um, low-pressure systems, closed lows, sometimes cut off, 
sort of wandering across the Southwest. Not a lot of moisture though with them. And, you know, it was only that the, the April events that really brought it to Southern Arizona, but the last couple of events have actually had enough precip or a lot, enough moisture to put precip down in the Utah, Colorado, uh, Northern Arizona, and Northern New Mexico. I don't know if I want to call it a May miracle above mediocre May or something like that. Right. So it helped. Yeah. You know, the accumulation of the lack of events that we experience here in the Southwest didn't do much to change that story. We've got to step back because through the emotional abuse that you and I have subjected each other to for the last 20 months with this El Nino, we had, I had at least, exorbitant expectations out of this winter. And if you look at October through just last week's precip totals, for most locations in the Southwest, they're average. So it, it did not rain. And, you know, I think that the things that were surprising about this was the pattern of the precip and when it occurred. The super slowdown. The number of events as well. I'm looking at Tucson, for example, and there was from mid-May, you know, back to January, there was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven days of substantial rain that you would you would look at as being uh, substantial, I guess. It's not many. Yeah, it's not many. February had one and, and, and March had one. Yeah. Okay. So that, that was, I think, the biggest story looking back on this El Nino. We didn't race up to from a total precip, you know, staying the water year from October 1st, or even if you just take the core of the winter season. Um, it was not spectacular, but it wasn't by any means like the driest on record. Right. So we had high expectations. They weren't met, but it did. There was precipitation. That big slowdown in February and March and the temperatures really, really stand out as the big story. And then this weird kind of reversal that we've had, you know, April ends up the temperatures moderate quite a bit and they yeah, it's moderate been slightly over, cooler than average. It's almost been average. April for much of the Southwest ends up being close to average as far as temperature and then locations even being average to above average for preset. Now it's usually the time of year where we do get these sort of these, it's the transition period as you often say, where we get these storms wafting in from the Northwest more or less. They're windy, yeah. moisture starved conditions. Yeah. More than normal, more than this year? So I think what's different, and I think this is the El Nino part of it, and it's actually, if you remember a year ago, it was all that unlike this year. Do you remember we had this sort of, we had some heat waves in April with some record, we had a couple of record, record-breaking days in last April, April 2015, but then it, we actually had rain come in towards the end of the month, and then it actually rained a bit in the early part of the month. And that was the last year we were actually calling it the Miracle May when the upper basin of Colorado actually picked up quite a bit of snow. It's not all unlike that pattern that we're seeing right now, which is where it was warmer early in the spring and then sort of tailed off and we got precip and cooler conditions. But if, if you contrast this to, say, like a typical La Nina year, you know, like 2011 and 2012 and 2013 for all intents and purposes, not, not official La Ninas, but kind of like that, which is where we would... Winter would stop, and then you'd move into the warm conditions, and then you'd get this thing where the dew points would crater. We would get these passing storm systems, and it would kind of get cool one day, but hot the other day, cool one day, but it was very dry. And it's what you were saying. It's like these wind events would come through, fire danger would go up. That was like a couple years ago and a little bit more of a hallmark. This is more of a split jet stream. These are low-pressure systems coming in on this subtropical jet, and they have a little bit more moisture than they normally would. So they're able to cause some precipitation. So it's a, it's a, it's definitely a different expression. It's not your typical La Nina-ish or even sort of normal transition to spring. It's still got this expression of El Nino, but 
that's going to be gone real soon. So El Nino is currently on its way out. Holy moly. Yeah. yeah. It's I mean, tanking. It, it's, still, it's still in El Nino, but when you look at the, the data from the tropical Pacific Ocean, the sea surface temperatures, it's, it's on a declining trend, rapidly declining trend. It's on a nosedive, and it's, it's on a pretty quick nosedive. It's not quite as quick as 97, I'm sorry, spring of 98, mm-hmm. but it's not going to hold on. We'll get to this, but there is, there is mounting confidence in a building La Nina event. The probabilities have been hinting at uh, increased chances for a La Nina event, largely because there's physical reason to think that, yeah. you know, a big, a strong El Nino event would push back to, uh, and overshoot into a, a cooler La Nina event. But totally. as we've progressed and been able to, in the models, pick, pick up things a little bit better at this, this time of year, uh, there is increasing evidence that that's the case, particularly with the temperatures in the sub-sea surface. Absolutely. If you look at s- some of the different plots of sea surface temperatures or subsurface temperatures and ocean heights, all the different, there's so many different ways to slice and dice uh, the conditions across the Pacific Ocean. The warm water we saw early in the season in the Western Pacific, that was the expression of El Nino moving across there. It's it's so far below average now. It's just that that's the future is all that cool water coming back across the Pacific. There will be a ton of really interesting research coming out that deconstructs what happened. Yep. And I think we're starting to see that trickle out and it, it, it'll be nice to sort of chronicle that. So I guess we're never going to put El Nino to bed because it's worth revisiting it periodically and updating our understanding of it. And it's the biggest game in town down here. Right. So uh, a new piece of literature came out this week. Yeah. Aaron, Aaron Levine and, and uh, Mike McFadden. So this is in um, Geophysical Research Letters, and it's one of the early views. And I actually caught it on a couple of press releases that were floating around the internet about people already sort of deconstructing what happened in 2014. Going back and two it, years. We actually can't think of this El Nino event without thinking back we to We can't. I mean, because if I think that, you know, at that point, we, you and I were even starting to get a little giddy in the spring of 2014. But I actually, I actually covered that up in my memory. Did you? See, yeah. I, you, you had to remind, you reminded know, me. We're talking, so it's, so it's it literally, has, been literally been almost two 24 years. months. Yeah. 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 No, I think it was spring of 2014 that we started talking about this. And it was, it was coming up in the forecast models even at that point. Um, and it was even November of... 2013 that the models were, right, they were starting to pick up on this idea that the, all that warm water that had been building up in the West Pacific was going to start to release and there were there was starting to trickle towards East Pacific. So yeah, so it was already, you know, heading in that direction. So this has been a long time that we've been talking about this. Why don't you give us a quick... You read the abstract. <laughs> Tell me what you remember. This is a little quiz. What I remember is that as 2014 was evolving in the summer with some confidence building that an El Nino, a relatively strong El Nino, moderate to strong El Nino would emerge, there was an easterly wind burst. And so what happens is typically uh, you get uh, slowing down of the easterly winds during an El Nino event. It allows water to move, warmer water from the west to move to the east, which feeds back in the atmosphere and sort of amplifies and sort of starts and then perpetuates this El Nino event. Well, that was in play until there was an easterly wind burst. And so that pushed back on, on the westerlies. The forecast models were even looking forward in that fall of 2013. It's just you're saying there's, there was a progression of, of warm water, subsurface warm water moving to the East Pacific. So that's sort of the, the beginning of it. And as we were kind of watching this in the spring and there was so much warm water volume in the West Pacific, it had the makings of a big event. And right. the forecast models were actually picking up on that. And they all went full tilt with the formation of that El Nino event through the spring into the summer 
peaking in the in the fall of 2015. And so that's you know where you and I were saying, batting down the hatches. Here comes the big one. And it was just as as we were in summer of 2015. Is this coming back to you now? Yeah, it I is. See, I think I, this I, is all. You yeah, know, the trauma it was. I totally it. repressed. This. I think you've totally repressed this. Yeah, because I, I even remember the forecast probabilities were at some of the they higher highest nailed. probabilities yeah. that I that I had seen on this. Yeah, yeah, you know, they close were, to one hundred percent. They were full tilt. And by some metrics, it never the two thousand and fourteen El Nino event ever actually even became an El Nino. That's and so that was kind of the point of this paper was saying is that um, there was a buzz. We were all pretty interested in this event coming online pretty quickly. And the forecast models, you know, we're, we're kind of leaning into them. And they, they all went full tilt because of this expression of warm water. So the ocean was sort of leading the dance at that point. And so and it was moving in this direction. So the models just said, all right, it's going to go. And, the, you know, the point of this paper, as you're, you're saying there, was that so the, the feedback is typically warm water to the East Pacific, which reinforces this feedback mechanism, which will have atmosphere expression, which will be the westerly wind bursts, so on and so forth. And then you move into it. By that time, peaking in, you know, the, the water temperatures, having all this warm water in the summer and then to the fall. So the event then peaks in the fall and then it's typically done, right? It's it, all that warm water is in the East Pacific. It's now moving towards the poles and you move back to neutral or towards La Nina. And so it, it played out. But this paper was basically saying that an easterly wind burst, which would be counter to the whole movement of the sort of the energy and the mass in the Pacific. Which would prevent that water yeah. from moving. So it was like, it was literally like. Towards South America. Yeah, the pause button, as I was saying, is like it hit the pause button. I remember this in the summer, it was like it stopped. And the models kept saying, no, 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 it'll, it'll pick up. And it just didn't. It didn't even meet El Nino um, criteria. criteria. So it was, it was a technically a neutral year, even though you had this huge subsurface pool of both. It was then warm in the. West Pacific and it was warm in the East Pacific. So there was actually no gradient across the whole Pacific. Right. But it, it was like caught, it was in stop motion at that point. I mean, it was just paused. And so nobody knew what was going to happen next. It was like, well, what is this? So that, yeah, it was interesting. And so the paper then goes on to say that the fact that it paused, more warm water built up in the West Pacific. The battery got recharged again in the West Supercharged. Pacific. Supercharged. Yeah. And already warm water was in place. So then it was able to have additional warm water volume move over in the following spring. And so it was like took the button off, the pause button off, and it resumed, and then it went full tilt. So what was the cause? Of the, so this is weather. So it's what causes an easterly wind burst. It's a cluster of thunderstorms. It could have been a I, – I should really read the paper a little more closely – I'm sure they diagnosed the actual weather events, but I mean, at that point, it could have been a hurricane. But so, but then, how do you pause it for so long? I guess the beginning stages of the El Nino, it's it's a feedback mechanism, right? And so, it's the ocean atmosphere working together, which move it in a direction. So, if there is not, you know, there can be this warm water movement in the subsurface, but the easterlies can continue to be normal and move across the surface, and you can still have these subsurface Kelvin waves even moving counter to the easterly um, winds at the surface. So they they were effectively disconnected, right? The ocean yeah, was, was moving in one That's direction. Right. It was the ocean yeah. and atmosphere weren't in sync. They weren't in sync. And yeah. so they were doing different things at the time, but the movement um, in the ocean was at a much slower timescale and in a direction. And the atmosphere is much higher frequency, kind of noisy stuff. And so it was sort of wait. And remember, we were waiting through the fall. It didn't, lock, it didn't come in lockstep. It didn't come in lockstep, but the warm water wasn't going to go anywhere at that point. And there was still warm water to be had in the West Pacific. So then it was the following fall and winter, things resumed again. And we actually then started to see the westerly wind bursts emerge 
we had really strong westerly windbursts, some of the strongest on record, which were then able to release, you know, let the floodgates of all that warm water in the West Pacific sort of flood into the East Pacific. And then you start to see better expression of El Nino. Okay, so that all happened, big El Nino event. But then we have this winter that you and I were just lamenting. It was like, well, what? You right. Know, where, where was it? And so that, to me, is the next phase of this diagnosis. Yeah, what, was, what caused the jet Why, to... Yeah. to, to to trend a little bit to the north, right. more to the north than we expect. Right, and does it have something to do with this long, weird evolution of an El Nino? If you look at some of the sea surface temperature maps um, through the event, you can see this the long duration of it, but you also see that the East Pacific was not quite as warm mm. during this event as it was in, say, 97, 98. The pattern of the jet stream... Where the convection was, the cloudiness of that. Metric. You're talking the um, northern Pacific or the I'm talking to like Pacific? the tropical Pacific, okay. and so looking where that convection is, right? You know, so we're looking to see whether or not it's sort of closer to the dateline. Right. It's further east Pacific. Mm-hmm. The expression in '98, um, spring of '98, was much more east Pacific, right. which maybe that this is was part more of center, it. Center this was yeah. It's not the the Madoki. Nobody wants to call it that. But it certainly it kind of leaned more Central Pacific, and as that was was that part of it, and then also this particular winter season and spring season, the Manjulian oscillation was was really really supercharged and pretty busy, which would have been constructively and destructively interfering with El Nino all season long, and it did. You didn't really see as much of that strong activity in the previous event. So this is where you know, like I'm really excited to see what the papers come out over the next six months to say. What was it, you know, and, and there's even some indication, you know, there's some people who are saying, well, it had something to do with the Arctic, the Arctic oscillation, Siberian snow cover is coming back online as being, being part of this. And so it's like, we've got a lot of work to do. Yeah, there's all of these pieces to the puzzle. You know, when you get a lot of different pieces, even if there are a few that are not that influential, yeah. that they, and you're on the margins of the signal, mm-hmm. then you can't actually. Right. And maybe this, you know, in one year they, they really shine and you're not sure why, you know, it's like, well, why are they all of a sudden important? And be, because of the these really complex nonlinear connections between them. That is interesting, and it's it's nice to have some sort of a, a narrative to what happened last year. Some of these journals are, you know, people will write a paper, and then 30 days later, it's already been through peer review, and it's out. And so I, I envision that this is going to you got to capture the interest. Holy moly, you know. And so I think that you know, you and I will try to try to keep an eye on this and see if we can interject it into the discussion as we move along here. Because what else do we have to talk about? Especially in May. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what I don't want to talk about, what we should talk about. You don't want to talk about May, do you? I, I, May and, and June to me are the doom season. I know. You just, it, yeah. It's like the, the doldrums. The, yeah, it is the doldrums. It li- I think it literally is the yeah. doldrums. It's yeah. li- there isn't a ton of... What does doldrum mean? Doldrums are... Actually, it's the opposite of the doldrums. Yeah, because the doldrums are when there is no wind. It was It's a sailing term. Oh, that's right. Where the oh, ships is. would it's, get caught in, these, yeah, yeah. in this p- area where they yeah. they can't... You know, they're, they're, they're basically just stuck there. Right. And we have plenty of wind. So May and June, what to expect? I'm, I think most people know um, <laughs> what to expect. <laughs> what to expect. <laughs> it is the climatologically driest... Uh, Except it's been precipitating, time which is, again, a bit odd. So, But if you look at the May-June period, yeah, this is we're heading we, we may get an yeah. event here and there. Yeah. It amounts to, historically speaking, roughly yeah. 5% of our annual yeah. precipitation. It's the ramp up to the monsoon season, which 30 days. Pro- provides a nice respite for the, the increasing temperatures. 
that become sweltering by the time the monsoon comes in. Monsoon, as many people know, uh, start historically around July 1st. There's maybe a week uh, of variability on either side. Not much. Not yeah. much. Depending where you are. And so, yeah. So Right. And it progresses north. And, and New Mexico's east, a little bit earlier. In, exactly. New Mexico's, mm-hmm. if we go south of the border, I mean, it's even it's, earlier. the center of the monsoon is really in in the, uh, Mexico. Mm-hmm. So we are on the fringes, which is the reason why it's the most challenging thing to predict here in the, in the Southwest. I mean, pr- I, I actually don't even think you should use the word prediction in the monsoon. Well, we know it's coming so we can, we, you know, that's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. We can predict, predict it's coming, that, but that, it will that doesn't actually add any value. I think it does. <laughs> I think just think about that reliability, right? Yeah, it's there. like predicting the sun's coming up. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we go for predictions that we can make. Yeah. Okay, that that's getting ahead of ourselves. We'll have uh, a lot of time next month to talk about the the monsoon but season. But we're closing the gap, so and I think that that's that's kind of important to say. So that's I'm right. Gonna, we are we are a month away from monsoon season. Monsoon season. Yeah, not saying that the Which monsoon will be there on June fifteenth. Starts two weeks before it actually it actually really starts. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. It's a monsoon. I'm going to call it the monsoon preseason. Oh, I like that. Yeah, it's a it's a warm up. Yeah, it's pre-season. a war, it's pre okay. it's it's like yeah preseason. Okay. Right, so historically the driest time of year. It's also the fire season. We've actually gone through the last couple years have been in Arizona have been average fire fire years. So the average number of acres burned per year in Arizona is 205,000. 205,429 to be exact. That's the average? That's the average. No kidding. Yeah, but the average median is probably a better. Yeah, I think median is way better. Yeah. <laughs> 157,000. Is the median? Is the median. Okay. That's and this is point. this is for data from the Southwest Coordination Center, the the folks who look over fire here actually in the in the US. But the Southwest is the Southwest version of that. Data from 1990 to 2015. So last year was basically right around average. The year before that, or no, sorry, right around median. The year before that was 204,000. So 2014 was 204,000, so slightly above. The year before that was slightly below at 103,000, so slightly below median and much below average. 2011, many people might remember, was the fires in... Yeah, so we had the Wall of Fire. Wall of Fire. We had Horseshoe 2, yep. and we had the Monument right. um, fire in Arizona. And But the, the Gila wilderness also, I think, burned that year. Uh, yeah, it was a big... It was New Mexico had several. One million fires. acres. Yeah. yeah. You know, we haven't had that sort of exceptional fire year this year. You know, we've got conditions that are favoring increased chances. 2011 was a knocked on drag out La Nina event. And if you look at some of the precip totals in Arizona and New Mexico in 2011, they were like, it rained four days between October and May. And it was a total of, you know, 0.3 inches. I mean, there were lots of stations right. across the Southwest. A little bit of snowpack up on the high country. It was a little bit better than North, but it was... Your classic sort of La Nina winter, and they didn't receive any late season precipitation, no. which that, we did this year. That's right, and so it was a shut. It was completely shut down by March, and by April and May, we were you know weeks into it not precipitating. Two points crashed, and then that was the the season that you were pointing out earlier. It was super windy, right? So we had this like parked cold trough across the west, and all it was was a blow dryer of air from the southwest, and it was. Very dry, occasionally cooled down, but mostly hot. And it was like the perfect storm for, for fire weather conditions. And wind here is uh, one of the key ingredients. So I was just mapping this out. Like if we were thinking about like 
some of the key factors in, in fire. You're, you're, you're thinking about land management, like what's, what's going on yeah. with Forest Service, for example, or the other management, land management agencies. How are they dealing with fire? Most of, obviously right now, we're, we're, they're pretty good at it. Yep. They're managing to minimize risk. So totally. every, every single year, they're, yeah. they're, they're doing precautions. Yep. Human behavior is, is a big one. I mean, half of the fires are basically started by a match. Oh, totally. And, and outside of this season, too, not a lot of lightning. We've had actually some lightning right. um, occasionally through April, but they were reasonably wet storms. It's early in the season, so we didn't have that. The lightning fires will increase as we come closer to the monsoon season because you get a lot of these dry lightning strikes where the, the there isn't enough moisture to actually hit the ground yet, but but the conditions, convective conditions are there. Yep. And those are the, those are the ones that are bad because at that point, it typically, you know, even in a year like this, where it will most likely stop raining and snowing really quickly, move into that. So then you'll have four five, six weeks of very low uh, humidity and you'll start baking out the moisture in the, the fuels. And then the fires that are occurring in late June can get pretty big pretty quickly, but they're usually cut by monsoon moisture mm-hmm. kind of coming in. So, so it usually, usually has a pretty hard end to it, uh, stop to it as the monsoon kind of moves in. Right. Okay. So you got land management, human behavior, fuel, fuel load is just another one. And then some of the atmospheric uh, climate and weather variables, yeah. rain, temperature plays a role because yeah. it, it reinforces the drying if it's, if it's hotter conditions and you don't have precipitation and, and wind. Yep. And so I think this year, and again, I think it's good to draw a parallel uh, or contrast it with something like 2011 is, is that this has been a very, we had that very dry February and March, which I think raised a lot of concern. But if you look at the pattern of precip, you can even see this in some of the soil moisture readings across the region, but the, the January event that we held on to so dearly emotionally with the, the El Nino event that rained, you know, two inches in Tucson, very big event across the Southwest is you can still see it in the soil moisture traces um, going out over months now because it was so it was in a cool season, dormant season, a lot of rain, a lot of snow, infiltrated very, very well. And it's, it's still producing stream flows in some of the springs and seeps across the state. That's really different than not having that and then having, and then we get it bookended with this starting to rain again in April and then even raining a little bit in May. That to me, again, it's, it closes the gap on the monsoon season. So you have less of a window. I think the risk is a little bit lower this year than you would have in a year like 2011. And there's another component to this, I think, which is just, and this is related to fuel load, but it's, it's, it's forest health. And yeah. I know in like Southern California where, you know, Southern California did not pick up the precipitation uh, that they had hoped this year when all basically in Northern California. But so this is like their fifth year in a row of, of pretty dry conditions. And by some estimates, about half of the old growth forests up there are, are dying or dead. Yeah. And so it's really prime conditions up there to a flame. Down here, we have a monsoon season that cuts the risk pretty hard in the middle of summer. And as if you look across the rest of the West, they move into the height of their, um, their wildfire seasons. It ends up being you know, July and August, you know, in the heart of the summer. So just to the west of here, just to the north of here, things really get busy where we we typically slow down. You can actually see the climate, the fire climatology move north from May through May through August. The, the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Idaho, and parts of, of Washington, even Northern California, in August, they experience their the height of their season. Right. Whereas ours is sort of June, June and July. Yeah. And July, it tails off as it depends on... It depends on what the monsoon yeah, season, but it it's that it's that play between lightning and 
and precipitation. Yeah, and even just having moisture come in is enough to really start to cut fire risk pretty quickly because it's harder for those fires to burn when the, the, the moisture is coming up, atmospheric moisture is coming up. So the doom season, anything else that we need to, to cover? I, you know, it's just a countdown. Okay, May, June was an animal. <laughs> May, June is an animal. A Gila monster. Oh, that's good. You like it? Why? Because they bite you and they won't let go. That's good. That's oh, I good. like that. Prairie dog came to mind. <laughs> Prairie dog. Yeah, you know he's like cowering, comes oh, up, okay. looks, looks. He's like, um, oh, I don't, I don't like this weather, and he goes back in. <laughs> I like that skittish. So where do you, where do we go from this? You know, the monsoon is is obviously on the on the horizon. We should get a lot closer to the monsoon yeah. before we start making pre- predictions about what the monsoon might actually do. And it always strikes me how. My, much my perception of the monsoon is different from the reality. Yeah. You know, I mean, so the monsoon season lasts for, you know, three, three and a half months, 100, 100 days or so. 100 days. How many days do you think there's actually precipitation? It's like 20. Yeah, it's like that. Yeah. It depends on where you are. Yeah. Well, it th- yeah. totally depends on where you are. Yeah. Okay. So if you're in- Lower Tucson, elevation. If you're in Tucson, it's, or I think it's around 20, 25. Yeah. Recorded if you're in days with Phoenix, oh. it's like 12. It's like 12. Yeah. But if you're up, if you're up high, you're like in flag. I mean, it can be like 50, 60 days. So we did mention before that there is greater uh, confidence in this, this growing El- La Nina. Yep. There's really not much to say about this trans. Don't want to talk. About this transition this. in terms of the monsoon. No. I mean, there's a collective, as you put it, there's a collective shrug when it comes to what. So the forecast is shrug. Yeah. It's like, ah, I don't know. Um, the official forecast is a shrug right now so it's literally an equal chances of being below above or near average at this point well the atmosphere is still responding like an, i know an El Nino. it's lagging and this is yeah. the tricky thing about um la nina events is that um uh, in the transition periods is that you know it's coming and going so you're, you're never sure if the atmosphere is sort of caught up with with it la nina events some colleagues suggest that the onset of the monsoon is a bit stronger and a bit earlier but it's very weak yeah pretty noisy um, just for fun, um, we could look at the the National Multimodel Ensemble, which we've talked about, which I hung on and refreshed several times a day through the this El Nino, and it it was like <laughs> it was like a bad you really have a no life bad drug. <laughs> yes, I mean it was it was uh, it was uh, Alice in Wonderland. It was a fantasy of epic proportions. It lied to me. For what six information do you get out from refreshing that a couple times during a day? Um, the idea that it might get wetter. Like if I, like the forecast will come out wetter and I'll be more excited about it. And it, I saw that all winter, but it never happened. Never came true for the summer, July, August, September. They're leaning wet. Why are they leaning? wet? Who knows? I have no idea. Yeah. Is that model signal swamped by one? No, it's not. It's actually an even split between models are suggesting wet and models suggesting dry. I guess a couple of them are a bit more bullish than the other, which are probably dragging the, the ensemble mean higher than average. Um, but it, hey, it's interesting. <laughs> I just brought this up to say, hey, I wonder what this model would look like. Do I believe it'll actually happen? No, absolutely not. What do you believe will happen? Um, I believe it'll rain somewhere at some point in time that's your, that's between July and the monsoon. It is now. Yeah, that's a safe bet. I'm about safe bets now. Okay, we're going to have to do what we did for the... Um the winter time. Oh, we're going to go into this betting. You won nothing out of that. You I know I won that? nothing. You won zero dollars. I won a lot of bragging rights though. You did You did win. You you nailed it too, which is very disappointing to me. 
Yeah, I verified. You verified your, your forecast. Your pessimistic. I have an forecast. N of one, but there is no model that. <coughs> just can remind right everybody now. that Zach Guido said November first <laughs> to May first that it would be what eighty percent of average. I think I said eighty eight percent. Eighty eight percent of average total precip at Tucson International Airport. What was it? Seventy five. Wow. I was like, I was throwing a dart at a dartboard. You were, but I was so disgusted with your forecast at that point. You know, this was back in the the. The gravy days of the fall when it was all looking so good, and I just thought, why would you, why would you go low like that? Why would you be so pessimistic? And you were right. That's what just kills me. I have me. to divulge my reasons. I don't want to know. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Be secret. Well, tell me about the tell me about the monsoon. I was looking back at your plots. Yeah, and I think the for Tucson, the last banner monsoon we had was 2006. That was an amazing year. 2006 is when Sabino Canyon blew out. Everybody would agree who lived here in Tucson that it was a very epic summer here. Right. So, you know, we've we've had, you know, last That's so year- interesting to take the El Nino of the century, albeit the young century, and be pessimistic and then just out of nowhere pull off this. Well, you like, see the pattern I'm, here. I don't see the pattern at all. It's contrary to expectation. <laughs> no, I'm not sure there's any expectation about the monsoon. I think you're right. But I think, I think it- if you were betting on the monsoon, you would have to say average, right? Well, because you don't know. There's no... Yeah. You, well, you would bet on just the... You'd bet on any possible... The best probability you would have is climatology. Well, sure. It'd be climatology. Let's save All this right, conversation. Let's right, keep uh, people wanting to let's, like... Let's show up with real bettable... Ben's, Ben's got a... What's your plan, Ben? Uh, it can't just be cumulative total. It has to be weekly total. Oh, oh weekly total. Man. Weekly total with a running tally of who wins that week. Oh, that's... That's brilliant. Uh, <laughs> thanks, for everybody, for for tuning in to uh, another <laughs> another uh, edition of the Southwest Climate Podcast. Uh, we'll come back in, right. right before the monsoon season and and be psyched to talk That's about right. something. Out of the doom season. Out of the doom season. That's right. We'll recap the doom season, and um, hopefully it would have been uh, a relatively mild fire season, and then we can just look, forward, look forward to uh, the, the monsoon. The Southwest Climate Podcast is a production of Clemus, which is part of NOAA's Regional Integrated Science and Assessment Program and is housed at the University of Arizona Institute of the Environment. Mike Crimmins is a principal investigator with Clemus, a professor of soil, water, and environmental science in the College of Agriculture and Life Sciences, and climate extension specialist with the University of Arizona Cooperative Extension. Zach Guido is a research scientist with the Institute of the Environment and UA program manager of the International Research and Applications Program. The podcast is edited and produced by Ben McMahon, research outreach and assessment specialist with Clemus. The number of pe- the number of people that would have made it to this point. I mean, I could basically say anything I want right now. Are you going to bet? Well, I can win some big money. <laughs> no whammies. No whammies. Stop.